Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might have seen this next guest in the lineup at Rincon or on stage at Madison Square Garden, but I know him from drinking in parking lots as a teenager. Every high school has a student that's considered most likely to succeed. They're academically dedicated, they're active in school politics or clubs or sports, and they're self-disciplined with a sharp focus on their future. That wasn't me, and that wasn't my friends either. Many of us were actually quite smart and creative in our own unconventional ways, but school spirit certainly wasn't what we cared about. Several of us would eventually find career success by way of some unexpected and circuitous paths, but one of us would become the lead guitarist for one of the biggest rock groups on the planet and subsequently find themselves just a single degree of separation away from another iconic band that transformed the entire music industry with a song called Smells Like Teen Spirit. There's a unique bond that you have with someone when you were friends with them well before they became wildly successful. There's a certain understanding that you have that puts you in a special category. You share memories and experiences that predate their current reality. But do fame and success have to fundamentally alter someone's behavior and personality? The answer is no. Chris and I still find ourselves hanging out in parking lots together, only now we're holding sandy wetsuits instead of beers. Life has a way of coming full circle. Today, musician, family man, surfer, political activist, and Santa Barbara native, Mr. Chris Shiflett. That didn't fuck it up, did I? I no, we should be good. Okay, yeah, well, cool. Check, check. The check, last check, thing check. I want to do is uh, hear you talk shit about my <laughs> compression. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris Shiflett, thanks for sitting down, dude. Yes, sir. Um, Wow, that's funny. Well, kind of all back to where it all started here in Santa Barbara. A hundred percent. So I have been staying for the last two weeks at my parents' house, yeah. basically in the bedroom that I grew up in, <laughs> <laughs> albeit with a wife and a kid now. But yeah. it's kind of funny. I think maybe you can go home again. I feel like not that much really changes around here. You know what the good thing about being the age that we're at is that when you go home again, you only seem to run into the people that are like also like happy and kind of in a good place. Like all the all the um, you know jailbirds fucked up, <laughs> all kind of fucked off to the corners or something. You know what I mean? You just don't run into any of it. But it was funny we were talking about the other day. Like I keep out of the corner of my eye, like thinking that I'm seeing people that I know from high school, and they'll Everybody. be like, "Oh wait, but that person's 28." <laughs> well, that's it's funny because that's everywhere I go in in Santa Barbara, and especially when I'm surfing, everybody I look at, I'm like, "Is that somebody I knew in yeah. high school?" I, I did that the other day right down here at Hammonds when um, 
I looked at a guy just maybe a little too long because he looked like a dude named Brian that, that went to Santa Barbara High around the same time as, as we did. And I kind of did that thing where I just looked at him like a second too long and he was like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> like hard stare. Like, I thought I was like hard staring. I was yeah, like, I know you say what's up. from high school, you know? So it's kind of funny. I feel like we have, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of a similar relationship with surfing in that, you know, we, we grew up here, grew up in the ocean. I surfed for a handful of years when I was a teenager and basically moved to high school, like essentially right out of high school. And then didn't really have, surfing didn't really have a place in my life until like my, you know, 30s when I kind of rediscovered it. Um, And then by then I was living in New York City and as cool as Rockaway is for this fun little surf scene, like it's not that good that often. You know, like (laughs) after surfing Rincon with you yesterday, I'm just like, dude, what am I doing? That place is, it's pretty magical out there. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I grew up at the beach. I did not grow up surfing. I grew up boogie boarding, you know, I'm almost like embarrassed to do it. Yeah, but you know, water culture. Yeah, yeah. but just hanging out at the beach, you know, I grew up like on the east side of Santa Barbara and so we could walk to East Beach, you know. Um, And and I was always kind of fascinated by surfing, but I didn't really start surfing until I was like into my 20s, you know. And once I started surfing, I was like, holy fuck, how could I have not been doing this my whole life, you know. Like, did you have a conscious, I mean, because you're a busy dude, you got the podcast, obviously you got the band, you got your solo career, three kids? Three kids. Three kids. Um, Like, it'd be really easy to not surf, obviously. Like, when did you decide to really, like, consciously carve out time in your life and make that a priority? It's it's an ongoing thing. I mean, I really, like, honestly, there's been stretches in my adult life where I'll go a really long time without getting any waves because yeah. it's it's easy because of all the things you just said but also yeah. because of traveling you know it seems like you know it's like Murphy's Law like I come home there's no waves you should have <laughs> been here last week yeah. when it was pumping you know and so it's easy you can if I'm in the middle of a tour cycle I could go months without surfing because every time I'm home there's no waves and then I leave and then it's good and the, you know what I mean yeah. you just get one of those and then and you know how it is like once you sort of get out of that it tends groove, to snowball it's yes. like an, almost like has an inertia to it the more you surf the more you want and then yeah. once you like I was, I was out of like when I first came here you know two weeks ago for the holidays like I went down to Rincon just with the fam and it was like not firing but like gorgeous and like right. and I was like oh that, that looks cool but like I wasn't even jonesing right, right know, yeah. I hadn't surfed for a while and then I paddled out a couple times and then now I'm just like uh, hey sweet you think you could watch the kid you know like, yeah. I'm just like you want to get back in it's know? interesting it's kind of cyclical but like this year in particular a couple things happened for me first off I was like touring a lot on my own sort of sandwiched in between. It was like a light year of touring for Foo Fighters, but we, we were working, but not like, it wasn't crazy. It was sort of like off cycle, you know? And so um, between Foo Fighters stuff I was doing, I put out an album and like went, did a lot of touring on my own. And I, and I, I sort of in the middle of all that, really right at the beginning of summer, I kind of had that realization like, fuck, I'm not going to have a summer. I'm like gone all summer, you know? And I'm not going to have any lazy beach days with my kids. I'm not going to, you know, it's just sort of like didn't have an opportunity for any of that. And it kind of fucked me up. Like it put through me into like a... um, like, I don't know, it just made me really depressed and made me, like, start, like, feeling, like, resentful to all this shit that I had committed to that, like, was good stuff that I wanted to go do and, yeah. you know, going and working. But I was, like, found myself, like, looking for reasons to not do it and looking for excuses to cancel shit, which I, which I didn't do. But, I, but it, I guess my point is, like, it sort of reinforced, like, um, that I have to carve out that time when I'm home and I have been, like, 
since then, basically. But also with sort of reconnecting up here, you know, I wanted to get over feeling like a fucking tourist in the lineup at Rincon. Yeah. You know, I, wanted to, I don't want to feel like a tourist at Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. I still, you know, if I'm being honest, I still do, basically. But I'm just trying to get up here more and surf more and, and, and really get to know the, the yeah. sort of the lineups. Well, I feel like you have the, the perfect level of kind of, for lack of a better word, fame and notoriety. Let's call it fame adjacent, you know? <laughs> right, right, You know, right. and that, like, yeah. you have, like, all yeah. the, you know, the perks of being part of this 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 machine of the foos and, you know, all, all the all the success and the, the perks that that brings. But at the same time, without a lot of the trappings of having to be, like, that public figure. You right, know, You yeah. can walk down the street and you can, you know, live your life. But, I, you know, ironically, I feel like the one place where all that success and status and fame, like, doesn't really hold any weight is in the lineup. <laughs> totally. You know? It might even count against you. I mean, I yeah. remember Timmy Curran telling me, like, when he... Would go. I don't remember which break he was talking about, but he told me about getting yelled at, like "You get to go on boat trips. We have to live here." Like yeah. that kind of shit. You know, I think it's, there's there is an element of that. You know, for sure. And is there anything about that that equation that you that you would want to change? Would you Would you like to be if you could have your way? Would you be you know less anonymous, or is there a party that wants to be a little bit more of like right this way, sir? Like no, you know, I, th- like, I think you nailed it, and I and I love that. That's what my life is like. I get to be a part of this big thing and make a make a good living and like take care of my family and tour the world i've gotten to travel all over the world for years and years um but the fame part i think the fame part maybe appealed to me a lot more when i was a kid you know because it's sort of like the fantasy of what being like a rock star is when you don't know what it is well what's what's the biggest misconception that's now that you've kind of experienced that if not personally like kind of peripherally from dave or other people i mean i i think it's all who you are and how you handle it you know i mean i think you look at somebody like dave he obviously does, does a really good job of like keeping things in balance you know like as crazy as you know probably a lot of his life is you know with um especially nowadays you know with where the band's at and where he's at as a as a sort of celebrity um you know i'd like i don't know that they're like you know we grew up in a time when like you know rock stars were like van halen and ozzy and people like that and like by the time i came along i feel like like grunge and '90s alt rock had like, yeah, yeah. had like made a lot of that like really like you, you would feel guilty about it was yeah like, like you know like the, sort of like wrung that out it was you know less less cool to be famous and cool right then, you yeah. know unless you couldn't like you know to smash hotel rooms up not that yeah. I would have ever necessarily wanted but like you know I you could I could have when I you know was younger I suppose I could have been as as decadent as I wanted, but join I didn't even join the Foo Fighters house twenty eight, you know what I mean? And it took it was years before we started making like a, you know, the kind of living where you could go out if you wanted yeah. to blow your tour and come on a Ferrari or some dumb yeah. shit. Like, you know, I suppose I could have done that, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. never did, you know, and um and then pretty early in all that, you know, I I got married, started having kids and all that sort of thing. So it's sort of like, you know, I I suppose I could live a, a crazier existence and lots of people do like don't get me wrong like there's plenty of like cocaine and strippers and shit going oh, on in rock and roll that maybe isn't there. on people's instagram account yeah, yeah. but you know it's it exists you oh, know? it's because you've been really you've been able to maintain like your sense of like humor and humility and perspective you know and do you think it do you think it has to do with the age at with at which you joined the foos do you think surfing has a, a, a part of that or just like there's like kind of this sense of like humility and 
Yeah, well, it's funny, you, you know, that you mentioned surfing in that because certainly around here, you know, historically, it's like you know, black wetsuit, whiteboard, shut yeah, the fuck yeah. up, kind of. <laughs> and all these rules, like rules that I don't even know. But dude, right. if you wrap your leash around your board right when you get out of the water, that, yeah. that's a kook move, dude. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I didn't know. I didn't, yeah. Is there a handbook? I guess. <laughs> um, but it's funny because that I think that mentality extends certainly in in like where we grew up in California. Like it, that extends beyond the lineup, and there is a sort of like, you know don't get too big for your britches thing that I think is part of the, the culture the of growing culture, up here, yeah. you know? And, um, uh, you know, that said, I think we all do stupid things, you know, through at, at various points of our life. But, um, you know, my, my family and my friends, my wife, certainly a big part of like keeping, you know, Keeping my feet on the ground. Yeah. You know, if I, anytime so if you I, walk in the house, it's like Chris <laughs> Shiflet from the Food Fighters. Like, uh, that shit doesn't really fly. Oh my God, like, yeah. First off, my kids don't give a shit. Second, yeah. my wife's like, unpack your fucking bag yeah. and do the dishes because you're not the fuck. You're not at the Four Seasons, yeah. bro. <laughs> you know, there's nobody here to pick up after you. Um, I mean, you know, Cara, it's like, she's like, you know, yeah. she's, it's like, it's like being married to Sean Murphy or something half the time. <laughs> She'll just throw you zingers. <laughs> so like, um, I'm sure you've just crossed paths with so many just random luminaries of different, you know, fields and whatever. Um, you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes. Like, do yeah. you have a certain experience that really proves that? Have you met anybody? You're just like, what the fuck is it? You know, without naming names or with naming names. You I know, mean, like no, nothing too bad. I would say most of the time in those environments, you just sort of don't have a meaningful conversation with the person. It's just person kind of like, like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Right, like, show is good. Right, or, yeah. like, Jimmy Page came out to a Foo Fighters show years ago. He's like, been to a few. I mean, he came out on stage with, with Dave and Taylor, you know, at, at that Wembley gig years ago. But, like, he's... I remember one time when he was there, maybe it was the first time or whatever, and it's fucking Jimmy Page, and you just so badly want to go have that moment, but so yeah. does everybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the whole backstage is yeah, yeah. smothering him, and you know what I mean? So so that's not like, you know, a, necessarily a bad experience, but it's just sort of, yeah. just sort of nothing. But like, there's been a few people, I would say like Chris Christopherson was like, nice. maybe the, the, like the, one of the coolest experiences because we did a, a, a thing with him at a Johnny Cash memorial right after Johnny Cash died. We played Sunday morning coming down with him. And he showed up. You know, most people have at least a tour manager and a guitar tech or something. He showed yeah. up nobody. Wow. He showed up carrying. He walked into the rehearsal room carrying his own guitar and was just like, hey, what's up? Which then, is exactly what you would exactly say. Exactly yeah. what you would want, you know what I mean? And then he hung out and uh, we played a couple, played this, ran through the song. He's like, all right, sounds good. And then he just hung out all day, you know, That's like cool. until the show. And, and like, it, it's cool that you mentioned him in terms of a name because, I mean, he's obviously a, a legend and, you know, famous, and but it's not the most famous person. It's I think, I guess the point I'm saying is that it's really the ones that kind of get to you are the ones that actually mean something to you, right. not necessarily just the like arbitrary level of right. their fame, you know, like, cause those are just, uh, I've crossed paths with some of those too. And it's just like, you're kind of just like, Oh, that's interesting because y you get to see the, the actuality of the disconnect between like the image and the person. And it's, right, it's, it's right. like, you know, it's, it's novel, but it's not really meaningful a lot I, of times. You know, I grew up as, as like a monster kiss fan, like just monster, monster kiss fan. And, Paul Stanley's kids go to the same school as Dave's kids. And so we've done like, um, we've done a couple of things where Paul Stanley has come out and play with us, but we played at the Forum 
for Dave's birthday a few years ago, and and Paul Stanley came did a couple songs. I think it was there. they did all the covers like the yes. Like the, oh, was oh were the you there? Yeah, that I was there. With, yeah, they did like the Jane's Addiction guys were there. Yes. And yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like tons of people came, but it was like for me. I mean, that was like. There's been a few things, but like that was one of the great all-time moments for me because you know the forum is where Kiss Live Two was recorded, yeah, yeah. and like we sound checked with Paul, and he's like the nicest guy in the world, and like super, he's so pro that at sound check, I swear to God, he was sound checking his like between song banner. Like, the forum is empty, <laughs> and he's on stage with it going like, "All right, Los Angeles, I can't hear you." <laughs> totally, he was doing the whole thing. That's awesome. Uh, it's, uh, That's it's pro, man. Yeah, it's it's show, super it's pro show move. business. Yeah. Um, I guess the funny thing is, I, I, I feel like the, the, I guess, civilian population has this notion that once you become famous, it's like this kind of secret door that opens and everybody right. knows each other and it's fraternal right. and everyone's on the same level. Right, and right. It seems like, in fact, it's just like every other part of life where there's like clicks and stratum and totally. all that stuff. And, uh, you know, from the perspective of, you know, getting to shoot a lot of famous people over the years, like one of the most charming and interesting things for me to get to, inter- to, to experience is when people who are legitimately famous are kind of humbled and a little starstruck by other people that oh, are legitimately yeah. famous. Yeah, and, yeah, sure. you know, you realize no matter who you are, you are always 13 at some right. point. And there's always that one person that was like, Coming up ahead of you yeah. that, you, that you emulated. Like, have you experienced anything like that? Have you seen? Have you ever seen Dave starstruck? Like, oh, you seen him sure. on his heels? For like, sure, because you know it's a funny thing, especially in recent years. Like, there's been so many. Like, you know, when the guys from Queen come around, or when we did that Sound City, um, when Dave did that Sound City movie, and, and we you know went out and did a bunch of shows around that, and all these like special guests came. But I mean, they got so many. Like, and. They're, you know, Dave still obviously like you know he grew up listening to like a lot of underground music and punk rock music. So a lot of those folks, like the guys from fucking Naked Ray Gun or whatever, come out yeah. to the show and 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 you can see that he like, means something to yeah, him. Yeah, means something. Can they, the guys from Bad Brains come out and you yeah. can tell that moves him in a way that maybe you know meeting Joe Schmo rock star doesn't. It's fascinating too because most of the kind of true mavericks of of seminal cultural movements like that, whether it's like skateboarding or punk rock, like the first generation never made any money. Oh yeah. And so it's interesting, you know, that you see someone like these, like even I got to shoot, uh, you know, Jay Adams briefly, you know, a couple years ago before he passed. And I was like, he was literally, I think he was like a busboy at Cholo's on the North Shore or something. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was like, you know, he'd had some, some, some issues and I think that contributed to as well. But I mean, these guys aren't, they're not filthy rich. Oh yeah. Now what's his name? Um, that was the, well, what's his name now? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. You know, the dude that was like the, um, Zephyr surf and skate. Stessic writer or Skip. Sorry. Oh, Skip. Yes, yeah. Skip Fry. Yeah. Yes. He, uh, Skip Engblom. Eng- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 Skip, yeah. Eng- yeah. Skip Fry is that other shaper dude. Yeah. But, um, he, you know, he was like, probably still is doing ding repair down in yeah. Marina Del Rey or whatever. You I know think, what I mean? Uh, like, Conlon's tied with him. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I of mean, it's, 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 that's like an age old story, you know, whatever it is, you know, yeah. it's, you know, surfing, boxing, music, you know, whatever. So, Tell me, is that a strange transition going from, you know, being Chris from the Foos playing stadium and then being Chris, the solo artist and playing, you know, bars and small little clubs? I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. is that a huge trans- transition? I mean, it, it must be very bizarre. It's it's usually feels like it is more for people like 
at, you know, I get more comments from people like, oh, my God, you're setting up your own gear. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing, you know. Um, for me, it's like playing little clubs and bars. It's like I, I never stopped doing that through all the years. I always had like a little side project or something, you know, outside of it. And, you know, that's like where I that's where everybody comes from. Music to plays rock and roll. It's yeah. like we all grow up in bars and keg parties and stuff. Is like it that. is there is it a little bit more fulfilling on some level just because it's something that you create? completely created by yourself as a powder stuff. I mean, you're obviously at this point, you've been with the foods enough that you're, you're part of the creative force, but there is a sense of, there's like this inertia of the machine that you kind of jumped it's, on it's mid, mid trip, you know, yeah, it's like the difference between being like, you know, a team, uh, a, a teammate, you know, with, with, uh, you know, Dave's obviously the, the creative yeah. force behind the band. And so, you know, you're sort of playing to what, to what he, once out of his own songs and, and all that sort of thing as opposed to just like getting up and you know sort of playing maybe a little more intuitively or whatever you know whatever yeah. it's, and I think it's very different when when you're playing songs that you wrote with words that you wrote that yeah. they have part of your story and you know what I mean it's, it's just a, it's a lot more on the line yeah it's such a different role you know for me in, in that thing that um, you know it's I love that, that I get to go out and do it I, I like that I have both you know, I mean, I guess I, like I was, I'm, I'm, I'm super comfortable in a support role in a band. It's mostly what I've always done, whether it was like high school bands or like when I was in No Use for a Name or yeah. even the Gimme Gimmies or something. And certainly with the Foo Fighters, that that is a comfortable role for me, like in in a band. But I like to go out and 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 sing and write songs and, and the muscles. It's shit. a different muscle flex totally. for sure, right? Totally. Like, how do you maintain like a sense of enthusiasm? You go on a like long tour like that, and you're playing the same. I mean, I. That's the hard part. I know. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> really like how tired part. must yeah. Dave be of playing Everlong? And he wrote it. Right. You know what I mean, like, <laughs> right, from, right. from you. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you, I mean, there must be nights you just kind of try and phone it in. Or, like, how do you, how do you rally to, to, to give that to the crowd? It, it's funny because, I mean, really, without sounding too corny about it, you really just have to find the fun and the unique moments in every show. And the thing about the people maybe don't think about with like like a band like the Foo Fighters like this sounds awful to say this but like we basically never have a bad show you know what I mean every show yeah. is like people are there to see us well, that's a fair statement that's why they're there to see you I think that you, you guys have that reputation of like right but like we, you never go out and like we're not trying to win the, the crowd over in the same way it's a very different thing when you're playing music that people know and they've like listened to for years and years, and they know, and they know all the words, and they're shouting along, and the, and, and the, it's a different kind of like expectation of what the show is. I think you know, it's for that is one of the radical, the thing that's the most radically different. You know, there's the obvious stuff of like if I'm out there as Chris Schiff with the solo artist, I'm playing to 50 people in Des Moines or what, you know, yeah, as yeah. opposed to like a stadium. That's sort of the obvious thing. The the maybe less obvious thing is that when you're out playing songs that nobody's ever heard, you know, room full of people that are like, we don't know who the fuck you are and we haven't heard these songs, especially yeah. if you're like supporting somebody else. That's that's the thing that I fucking love. Like I love having to win that crowd over the way that that feels. You know what I mean? It's like, that's really fun. It's a different thing. I also love going out and having fucking 20,000 people go 
Ape shit, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, but but it's a very different animal. There seems like a little parallels. I heard like a lot of stand-up comics talk about the difference between you know doing a set at the store or you know to a random crowd and then doing a headline show. It's like yeah. you don't have to win the crowd. Or people bought tickets and yeah. got sitters and waited in line to see you specifically. Oh, and they're know, rooting like for you. Yeah. They, they didn't come out to have a shitty time. They yeah. don't want to be bummed. They want to, yeah. you know, they're like there to, you know, especially like a big Foo Fighter show or something. I mean, people like fly in for those. You know, it's like it becomes a. It's an event, you know, it's yeah. a trip to meet up with all their friends. And, you know, it's like they're not there to be to to go, oh, this, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. and they, it wills you on almost, you know. So one of I don't know if you remember this, but one of the first date I went on with my wife, Lisa, was to the Foo Show. What? And, yeah. You know, I think in, uh, <laughs> I in New, Jer- New York, New Jersey. Oh, OK. Listen, I mean, it would have been I could do the math. What? It was seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you hooked me up and like so many things could have gone wrong. It was like, oh, the tickets weren't there. You know, I'm just yeah. like, oh, there's a lot on the Which line. Which often like, does does go wrong. But uh, <laughs> no, everything went smooth. And, you know, you've always been super you know, generous and gracious. So you like came and met us and like hooked us up or like hanging backstage. I'm kind of feeling like, oh yeah, I'm the man. And I'm like kind of just like starting to get a little relaxed, get some drinks in me. And then, you know, you're like, oh, uh, by the way, we're about to go play a rock and roll show if you want to go watch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the stage. And I remember, I remember kind of like peeking behind the curtain and like looking at the crowd and I was like, Holy, I had this epiphany. I was like, holy shit, you, you all are popular. You know? <laughs> like, it's just like a really weird thing when like someone that you know from a kid becomes like this other thing, you know? But yeah. at the same time, I think that's why it's always so great to hang out with you because you, you aren't that other thing. You know, well, you're still you know, just this dude I, I'd known forever. You it's know? interesting because, you know, as you know, a lot of people we grew up with sort of never left. And, you know, um, there's that whole thing. And there's so there's like... I've, there's almost like different categories of friends, you know, and like like you're one of the people that went out into the world, went far away, and did, you know, did some crazy shit, yeah. you know what I mean, with with your life, and have lived a lot, and it's interesting because like throughout that whole time, whether we was like, you know, my band playing at a keg party in high school or whatever, which you would have been at or the yeah, yeah. barn or what, you know whatever, one of those things, or like, you know, like like. Like hanging out in New York in the in the mid '90s, like at those like no use for name shows, like Coney Island High or whatever, like the yeah. early Warp Tour stuff or any, any of those things. You know, what I mean, you sort of like we've always connected through the years at, at through through all the different points. It wasn't like. I hadn't seen you since fucking, you know, 11th grade. And then all of a sudden it was, you are like, oh, he's famous. Can you get me backstage right, you know, or whatever? It's, yeah. it's funny. I think about that sometimes. Like we've sort of like, there's not, I, there aren't a lot of my friends that, have, that I know through the whole thing. It's you know? funny. I remember when you were doing the, the Warp Tour and we went and hung out with you and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, oh, my, my friend's starting to get a little, you know, level of status he's on tour or whatever and I came to meet you in the afternoon you're like dude I'm basically in a concentration I'm like a refugee camp right now I'm in the middle of this like dirt field with no transportation it's two o'clock we don't go on until yeah. fucking whenever and like it's not that glamorous you know didn't we like take the train back from like Roosevelt Island or some shit like I, I have like a vague memory of that like a me and you and maybe like John Bush and some people all being on a train coming yeah. back from the war I was tour. like I thought you were a rock star dude <laughs> what's going on where's the a white limo, bro. Oh man! So I uh, I pulled up a couple of photos on the way over here, and one of them is uh, is one of you and, and Joan Jet. 
um, oh, backstage yes. in New York. And yes. it's just so funny because so my first concert ever was for my sixth grade birthday gift. My parents took me to see Joan Jett at the Arlington. Yeah. And, uh, and then cut to probably late 90s. I was a photo assistant. I worked on a shoot with her. Mm. And there was a kind of quiet moment afterwards. And like I wanted to kind of pay like respect to her and, you know, say, hey, you were the first concert that I ever went to when I was in sixth grade. But like somehow the way it came out is like, you are so fucking old that when I was in sixth grade, it just right. like totally botched right. it, you know? Right. And, I, yeah. and um, so then cut to today, and like I honestly, I don't remember doing it, but um, you know, like when you sign up for a security question for a credit card, they say, oh, school, first school you went to, yeah. that's name. Or like, what was the first concert you went to? I must have said Joan Jett. Joan Jett. So literally, every time I call my credit card company now, like, right. has to be represented. <laughs> Joan Jett (laughs) representative. Yeah. (laughs) So ridiculous. That's funny. um, But those are, those are really fun to get to, to shoot you guys. Um, I think it was, I must have been the Sound City project. What was that for? No, that was, I feel like that was backstage at, at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that was maybe the first time that we did anything with her. Cause I, I, I remember those pictures too. I think I feel like that was before. I could be fucking that up. I don't know. I'm fucking senile, but I feel like that was before the Sound City stuff. It's interesting because you know Pat has known Joan Jett forever. Like Did he, he was produced like, the record or no? She produced. Or she produced Germs. The Germs yeah. record. But even before that, he was like a you know a teenager running around, uh, falling around the Runaways. You know, like like way back when. Wow. Um, but I, it's funny. I don't remember her ever sort of being around. In the early days of being a Foo Fighter, until until I feel like that was the first time. That I, I think it was right around the same time. And then yeah, so it was cool getting to meet her. And then I remember we hung out. Um, and uh, when Mike Ness and Social Distortion were supporting you. Oh yeah, and I remember that great story you told me about him. I'm sure I'm like gonna butcher it, but <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> like somebody was like talking shit and like whatever. Yeah. But rather than like just getting into an immediate fist fight, they basically made an appointment to go and like <laughs> yes. go down the block yeah. and have a fist fight. Yeah. And then they like brawled yeah. it out and. And then the guy's like, all right, cool, we did that. Uh, you mind giving me a ride back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's oh, man, that's is that right. the gist of the story? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I should make it clear that I heard that story very secondhand, not so directly I'm from it Mike. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, a great I story. I didn't hear it from Mike Ness. But, um, yeah, yeah I, think, I think I suspect that it is true. But, yeah, that, man, getting like getting a tour with them, like, I mean, that's like kind of goes back to what you were talking about before meeting people that like I was always such a massive fan of Mike Ness and Social Distortion. But also like he's one of those dudes that you're kind of afraid to meet because he's got a gnarly. He's real. He's real. You know? Yeah. And and I got to say, like, because I interviewed him for my podcast kind of early in in doing it. And he was so fucking cool. What kind of a deeper dude than I expected. So much deeper. I remember that podcast. I was like, kind of like, wow. Totally. He gets into all kinds of stuff. And he's just a thoughtful, just what a sweet, cool, thoughtful guy, you know. But obviously, you know, has a, has a. You know, as an edge to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but another one of those characters that, you know, from that era that we look up to is like yeah. kind of Mount Rushmore of punk rock totally. or whatever. And like, he's totally. not, I don't think he's, I mean, probably got a decent life. He can, you know, like as a tour, a, you know, touring lifestyle, but like, he's not filthy, you know, like they didn't make a ton of money. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't, he's, he looks like he lives pretty great. You yeah. know, he looks like, like, talk about a good level of fame and success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That looks like a pretty, like, you know, it's manageable. But like, I mean, the guy kind of like, Created a subgenre of punk, you know? Yeah. That, like, there's, like, a whole... There's, like, will always be generations of, like, 
greaser punk rock dudes following in that image. Yeah, you know? and kind of the first person to really like draw what would actually be a really obvious parallel, but I'd never seen, you know, between like country and, yes. and punk rock. You yeah. know, like Johnny, yeah. I was like, I never thought of, you know, Johnny Cash or people from that genre as like having a direct lineage to what we were into until, you know, someone like Mike Ness. Was like, I would oh. say for me personally, he's probably maybe the most influential in, in, in turning me on to that, you know, old honky tonk and stuff like, cause they would cover some of those songs and stuff. Yeah. But like, you know, I didn't grow up listening to old country music and it was through, you know, through social D and certainly like through X, you know, some, yeah. some of the stuff that was around in, in those days that, that turned me on to, to just even thinking it was cool. Yeah. Or even know? like what other punk band from the time would do like a Stones cover. You right. Know I mean? like yeah. That's yeah, not, totally. wasn't like yeah. a thing. Yeah. Know? Um, yeah, you were supposed to hate those people, not yeah. celebrate them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Which is funny too, because like, dude, so I got in the last like, basically when uh, my wife was pregnant, it was like, oh, it was a Steely Dan pregnancy. Like, it was like the most like, it just like represents everything yeah. I needed in my life, yeah. just like smooth and mellow, <laughs> very like, well crafted. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it was just like that was the shit you're supposed to hate back yeah. in the day. Now yeah. it's like, oh, I'm like, dude, I need some. Oh, this is a Steely Dan Sunday right now. You it's know, funny the, how like there's some things that I've. I've that I grew up hating just like a visceral hatred for like anything sort of hippie related you know it's growing up here summer yeah, yeah. fucking solstice parade and there's just hippies everywhere and sort of that post hippie culture that, that we were just sort of surrounded by which made a lot of us I think probably you too like like just fucking despise scent, patch, yeah. anything patchouli like it was like a big move for me that I could like like smell patchouli oil and think like oh it smells kind of nice now you know what yeah, I mean like, yeah. it was like real progress it just reminds you of like yeah. dirty girls with no shoes on <laughs> totally like. <laughs> or like to be able to listen to like a Bob Marley record or something yeah. you know what I mean and, and appreciate it like was like kind of but there's some things from that era that that I can't let go of just sort of despising. It's funny. It's funny how like some things you're okay with and some things you're not. Like when, when all the sort of like soft rock, retro soft rock started happening a few years ago and people celebrating that era of like, like 70s. I don't I was really like, need I, Seals I, and Crofts yeah, in my I life. Yeah, I hated like, it then. <laughs> I don't think it's hip now. If I could have fun, but I fucking hate it still. Well, so that kind of leads me to the question. I want to get your perspective on the music industry as a whole. Like I know the, the economics have obviously changed, but like just for me personally, I find that like music just, it's sad, but it doesn't hold the same place in my heart and my life as it did when I was yeah. a kid. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, growing up around here, there were certain cultural signifiers. You'd be like, oh, that guy's a certain haircut. Oh, that guy has creepers. Like, yes. okay, we have something in common. Yeah. And so it wasn't just the music. It was more like, and it was, it was an identity as well. And yeah. I think a lot of that, I, I don't know if it's just us getting older or me getting older, but I feel like that isn't really as much a part of music, period. And then yeah. also you have so much competition with Instagram and video games and whatever that means. It just yeah. doesn't have that kind of cultural driving force that it did, at least for me. Like, yes. what, so what, how is, what's the state of the music industry? Is it, is it on its last legs? Is it thriving? And I'm just not, I'm, I'm just that old dude. Like, what do you, I, where do you I, see it? From what I understand, the record industry is thriving, but like, it is interesting what you said about cultural signifiers, because I, I noticed that mostly just with my kids and watching what they're into and what all their friends seem to be into. And, and, and I just sort of look around their school and I don't see a lot of subgroups. I don't see goths and mods and skinheads yeah. and punkers and heavy metal. Like, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of that stuff here and there, but it's certainly not the way it was when, when we were kids, which, which, you know, yeah, I don't know what's better or worse. I know that I liked yeah. it better the way it was when we were kids, yeah. but, you know, it's because I lived through it. But I think part of it is also, like, I think your relationship 
with music changed a lot because, you know, when, when you're, when I was 10 or when I was 16 or even up until my, probably into my twenties, you know, early twenties, like you sort of, you, you want to be defined by the things that you're into. I'm a fucking yeah. jawbreaker fan. This is, I'm yeah. fuck, I got this shirt and I go to the show and you don't fucking know what this is, but I do. And it's my little yeah. thing that's mine, you know, or I'm into Kiss and fuck you if you're into Aerosmith because yeah. Kiss is the bad, blah, blah, And there's so much, I don't know if it was everywhere or just here, there's so much of that, like, growing so up in Santa Barbara. You'd oh, be yeah. like wearing like, a black flag pin and then some scary dude comes up or and goes you need to tell me three black songs black flag songs <laughs> right totally. now I'm gonna kick yeah. you know you don't deserve to be you're not in the club you, you know, know like, what's great about that time like when we were in high school is, and I feel really lucky because there was I look back on it and I go god I fucking listen to some horrible shit I listen to stuff that was good that I still like but I listen to a lot of horrible shit but just by virtue of hanging out like in the junior parking lot around all the people that we were hanging around, you just got turned on to everything. Like whether it was, you know, all the punk rock stuff. Like I never really identified as a punker dunker. Like I was, yeah. I was like wanted to be a glam rocker. You know, I was trying to do that. But like you got hooked, you you got turned on to all the punk rock stuff, all the ska stuff, and like goth stuff. You know, all the skin because it was really it was and, a small enough you know, of a community where they had the influences of you know from from L.A. and you know people were into cool shit. But it's still a really small town. Yeah. So you're, ultimately, you're tying. It's the same. 200 people that were right. hanging out downtown. You right. know, this dude had a shaved head. This It'd dude had a mohawk. This dude yeah. was in the sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was like, there was like these factions, but it was still small enough for like, we're still kind of all in this together against whatever the others were. The kids you know? and the big dog shirts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? A Corona Beach Club or something. It's, yeah. it's interesting, like just by virtue of like what was on your friend's tape deck in their car, like on at the keg party, you sort of got turned on to all this, you know, you, you're, your musical education was vast. Yeah. And, like, I find myself, like, you know, like, reminiscing about stuff that I wasn't even really into at the time, but I, but you still know it sort of front to back. And that's what's interesting about, you know, going back and, and revisiting some of the music that meant a lot to me at that age. And it's, like, some of it didn't really age very well. Or maybe it wasn't. Which makes me think that it probably, yeah. it's not that it didn't age well. I don't think it was that good even back then, but it just represented to us more than the sound on yeah. the record, you know, is about like, oh, we're yeah. part of this culture by listening to this. And know, like, like you're so open to it at that point. You know what I mean? You're just a kid. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have kids. Yeah. You don't have a fucking job. You don't have any stress in your life, really. Like, it's just different. You know, yeah. I think, like, I, of course, I still love music and, and music is, you know, a huge part of my life. And, you know, it's the thing I do for a living and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, I'd be lying through my teeth if I said that I, I, I listened to it with the same intensity that I did when I was a kid. Not yeah. even, like, not even at all. <laughs> I mean, not even close. Like, like I, nothing moves me like that. But it's probably just because I'm old and desensitized. I don't yeah, know. it's or not also just, like, the, the of, formats change, like, the whole singles culture and right. online and streaming. Like, I used to know title tracks and oh, like, yeah. you know, liner notes and you know stuff meant something. Yeah, I used was to know like a, who mixed like, the record yeah, and where and it was, was a recorded square foot stuff. of artwork yes. and now it's not it's that's a it's, w- it's a thumbnail picture on we're screen. definitely getting into like get off my lawn territory here for sure <laughs> but, but whatever you know I mean it's I'm almost 50 so I can do that but I think it's so it, it's so weird to see how my kids you know get turned on music because you know you in when we were kids you would go buy a record and you just, that was like the record that you had and it was your latest record. So you just yeah. listened to it all the time and you just knew it, you know, maybe you'd tape it and you know, your friends would tape it or whatever. 
And it would be, you know, months would go between record purchases. Now, if you're into something, you have, you can, it's like too fucking much. It's too much for me, and I'm a grown yeah. man. Like, I can only imagine what it's like for my kids. Like, how do you process anything? Or even get to, like, for me, I feel like music is almost like making a new friend, as corny as it sounds. Like, I, it takes, my, I keep my circle pretty small, and then, you know, every once in a while, I let somebody in. It takes a long time for me to feel, like, really comfortable with them. But once I do, it's, like, familiar. Yeah. And I would do that with with a record, too. Like, it would be, like, either no, not into that or, like, I'm going to listen to that 12 times in a row. And, like, right. I'm going to be, fr- I'm going to get to know it. Right. Now we're friends. Now I'm familiar with it. I think that's... And I a, feel like I don't do that anymore. Well, you know? that's a part of the problem. It's, like, nobody listens to it 12 times. Because a lot of great records, you have to give it, like, three or five or ten spins before it really fucking hits you. You yeah. know what I mean? I remember that, like... Even something that to me isn't doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess it kind of is. Like, uh, what was it? Radiohead, OK Computer, when that came out. Like, okay. I, I I bought it, listened to it once. I was like, yeah, it's all right. And then I was like, yeah, I listened to it again. Yeah, it's all right. And then by the third listen, I was like, well, wow, there's something's happening there. Yeah. And then by the fifth listen, I couldn't stop listening to it till the thousandth listen. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just like it's. When's the last time you did that with a record? It's been a while. I did actually the the last Arctic Monkeys album I really liked a lot. Right, like right. The, but there's just, there was there was it was it was worthy of that multiple listenings. And I feel like a lot of stuff today like it's that's not even the intent. But that's like, that's probably just that's our age talking and not because you know my kids listen to whatever it is that they're into fucking over and over. Well, I guess that's something. So but like, they don't listen to the album. They sure. listen to the song and they get about three quarters of the way but through music and they does move on have, to the next music one. Music does have that place in their life. Like really, oh, for sure. Oh, that's cool. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. I think in some ways they do kind of identify by it. You know what I mean? But it's just, it seems more like, um, yeah, what's the word I'm like? It's just like less focused in a way. Did they get a good kind of music 101 education from you that stuck or did they well we'll see against that we'll see you know yes they did um you know for years my kids just sort of especially my oldest son liam cycled through various chunks of my record collection you know whether that was like acdc or there was a green day phase there was a long kiss phase you know some stuff that i was like this i fucking did it this totally worked you know (laughs) and then they were just sort of forced to listen to i always marveled at like they somehow, before they, I even think, really knew what genres were, they could recognize when I put on, like, a country song and immediately shout it down off the stage. <laughs> Turn that! Don't! No! We want to hear, you know, fucking yeah. The Hives or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, so, but they were forced to listen to all of it. And then, um, and then I, I remember when the Beatles box set came out when my kids were really small. Like, maybe even... I don't know if I had all three of them yet, but I bought the Beatles box set and I was like, I'm going to put this on repeat. Yeah. I'm just going to play this all the time in the house. And I kind of did that for a while just to like, you just got to get that good it bass, really does bass kinda, layer. It's such a good bass layer. I mean, like my son Jasper is just like, he's a huge Beatles fan and it's just like, it represents everything like kind of music 101 that you should, that they should learn. It's like, it's melodic, it's funny, yeah. it's well crafted, it's artsy, it's, yeah. it's, it's non-linear in some place. You know, totally. it's just like a really good, that, good starting place oh, to 100%. go to the next. As a musician, that was my, um, really the, the, the bedrock of like my music theory knowledge because I was lucky my first guitar teacher made me learn those songs and at the time I was like I want to learn fucking 
Iron Maiden. The yeah. fuck the Beatles. Like, you know what I mean? I like the Beatles, but like, I, it wasn't, it wasn't not what cool. I was into in fucking yeah. 1982 or whatever, yeah. you know? So, um, and I'm just glad that he did because that's where I learned all my like chord voicings and all that shit, you know? But, um, but it's, it's interesting because now my older two kids don't really listen to guitar music at all. You know, they listen pretty much exclusively to hip hop, which is all good. Um, and then my youngest is totally still in the phase of listening to my rock records. So, and he's stubborn. So I'm, he might, he might be the holdout. So I pulled up this picture and we'll, we'll close on this. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this picture before. It's kind of like a perfect metaphor for it's you in the hot sun carrying shit up a hill with your family. Yes. That is a perfect metaphor yeah. for being a dad. That should be, yeah, that should be called parenthood right there. Um, but here's the key thing with a huge smile on your face. Totally. Totally. And you know, I you know, any I had an even bigger smile on my face the day that I realized that all my kids were out of car seats, all my kids were out of strollers, and I just cleared all that shit out of my fucking garage. The greatest. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's funny, dude. I I kinda remember that trip. I remember um God, when the fuck was that? My kids look like they're very young in that. Like so six, seven, eight years ago. It's so know. funny, you know, those early days of parenthood are can or like there's a lot of sort of self-created stress. Oh, we gotta have the this and the that and, blah, and all that shit. God, I miss it now. Yeah. I really miss it now. You know what I mean? Like like my kids are they're teenagers, they're they're big, they're independent, you I feel know. Like you're actually at that point where time is starting to speed back up again. And yeah. I just got past the point where it was like I remember when my son turned two, people were like, Oh, he's two already? I'm like no, that fucking feels like two years. Like that's that's a long two years. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. It's starting to kind of speed up again. How's that sleep deprivation going? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You're probably through that now. Oh my god. I mean, he he was pretty good. I, honestly, the hardest part for me was just before he started speaking because yeah. I was, uh, you know, my wife and I are both freelance, and so I was with him a lot, and he was at that point where it was just like. Dude, you need to get some new material. <laughs> like, I am I'm more bored than I love you right now. Like, like get it together, dude. Oh, that's you know, funny. and then and now we're kind of at a weird point now where it's like he's fluently speaking, but he's like he's not quite old enough to be saying super interesting things, but right. old enough where it's not a novelty that he's talking all the time. <laughs> well, like, kids, I get it. Okay. Kids go through that like um that like drunken college kid phase where the, you know, when they're toddlers, where they're like bumbling into everything. Yeah. And like, it's uh, that's when it's hard, but God, man, I'm like, I look at, I'm at the other end where, you know, we still have a few years left, but like my oldest is driving, you know, he's, we only have a couple more years with him to, he's going to be out of the house, off to college, whatever, you know, it's like, I find myself getting fucking, I'm like sad about it right now. <laughs> you know, like it's funny just, you know, we were up here for a week and, and, uh, and it was great. And, um, you know, obviously my car and I have a very different relationship to Santa Barbara than my kids do. Cause they're not from here. They didn't grow up here, you know? So we just want to be here all the time. And they're like, fuck it. We just want to go home. And so they, um, they had, you know, car took them back a couple of days ago and, when they were getting ready to leave, I was like, I'm going to get all this shit done. I'm going to finish all these little projects that I have to do up around here. And the second they left, I was just like, oh, where'd they go? You know, like, I, it's like rips your fucking soul out. You I, know? I feel the same thing. Like, we just feel like so exhausted and so, oh, let's get it. And you finally put him to bed and then just like sit down and like, you're like, oh, I'm like, let me just look at Instagram. I'm like looking at old videos of him right, like, yes. in the other room. Oh, yeah. But, That's so. one thing I found my kids don't, uh, 
they, they're not um, old enough to be nostalgic about their childhoods yet because I do that. If I'm on tour, I'm like looking through my phone and then I text it to them. I'm like, oh, look how cute you are. And then no response. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> One of my Jasper's favorite things to do is look at Jasper. He likes to look at videos of himself. Oh, nice. Know, am I raising a little narcissist? Yeah, perfect. Perfect a, for the times. Just, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, it'd be interesting to see the effect that that has on, on, on memory recall. Right. Because like for us, like there was kind of home movies and maybe Maybe we caught like the beginning of a video, but for the most part, like we had some still pictures in a shoebox, and that yeah, was like that was like, it. That was yeah. our memories. Where yeah. it's like we have the ability to record and document basically entire life, you know, and how that kind of affects their memory. Because he says he remembers stuff when he's like two years old. Right. Like, I don't know if it's from seeing yeah. photos or. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't trust my memories anymore. <laughs> you know, I've I've come to realize that they're they're faulty. But um, and a lot of it is constructed from old photographs in in the shoebox at, at my mom's house. But it's interesting. Like being a photographer, have you like hyper documented your son's childhood so far? Yes and no. I think I kind of I started it. First. It's just a higher quality of documentation yeah, I mean, than the rest I, of us. I think me in general, like I, I'm pretty. I grew up on film, and so I'm pretty economical with right. the way I shoot photos. Yeah. I definitely not from this perspective now where it's just like blanket, you know, take pictures. It's yeah. so easy to take photos now on your phone or even a real camera where it's like I come from the era of every time you push this little button, it costs a dollar. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, so, so don't fucking press yeah, it like, too much. Yeah, like what are you trying to say with yeah. this photo? And then now it's like people, like they forget that, yeah, okay, sure, you can take 1500 photos over the course of a party, but like you still have to parse and edit all that information, right. you know? Yeah. And so I think editing and camera is like something that is uh, a fine art that's been lost. Well, it's interesting cause it's, it's also like, like, um, yeah, I find the older I get, the more I, I get, un- I'm uncomfortable by, um, by clutter. Yeah. Any kind of clutter, old shit in my garage, whatever it is. And that, and like digital photos are make me stressed. You know what I mean? There's just too many of them. Like somebody has to come up with a really like, maybe they already exist. I don't know. I'm kind of a Luddite. But somebody needs to come up with a way of like organizing all your fucking, the overflow of fucking digital content that we all generate. It's crazy. I mean, it's funny. There's like a definite cutoff on me. Like, cause I, I toured with a lot of bands and did a lot of, you know, celebrity kind of photography, but it was almost all on film. And then mm. the time when I switched to digital, like my archives, I'm pretty organized and keyworded. I can find stuff quick, but like somebody will call me and be like, oh, I'm looking for a picture of, you know, Outcast from 19. 19- I'm like, nah, sorry. I'm not going into that closet. <laughs> right. Pull, find the contact sheet, find the corresponding neg, get a scan. Like yeah. it's not going to happen, yeah. you know, unless it's like there's real money involved or if it's something that I really care about. But, you know, on the flip side, like somebody with this, this surf project that I've been doing, you know, like I could pull up most surfers by their name and like email them a photo with oh, really? in it. So yeah, it's, nice. you know, it's, it's it's really it's it definitely is convenient. It's just it's a different it's a different workflow for sure. Yeah. So it drives me nuts. Well, dude, man, thank you for sitting down. Thanks oh, for, good. Uh, thanks for the fun times, some fun waves, and uh, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it again soon, man. I'm glad we got some good hang time on this trip. Right on. Thanks, boss. Yeah. Good shit, hey, man. That was great, dude. Good shit. That was fucking great. This episode of The Plug was produced by Bucci with audio engineering and original music by Peter Buckingham. Thanks for listening and a huge thanks to today's guests for dropping in. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and be sure to tune in for future conversations.